After years on the road, Timmy parked the van and picked up the mic to bring you this podcast that features interviews with people from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me with your host, Joshua Toomey. Hello, friends, and welcome to Talk To Me, Episode 4, A New Hope. My guest this week is Fred Corey, drummer from Cinderella. We talk about many things. We go into his history with Cinderella. We go into a short-lived time when he played drums for Ozzy. We talk about his time spent with Guns N' Roses. We go over the Moscow Music Peace Festival and the epic flight over. We also talk about his time spent with me. Yes, Red Corey produced my band, Full Volt Negative Earth, back in the late 90s. And it was a fun time. Especially for me, because I would just sit there and bother Fred all day about, please, Fred, tell me another story about Skid Row. Please, Fred, tell me another story about when you toured with opening for Bon Jovi. Please, Fred, just tell me another story about this and about that. So having a podcast and talking to Fred Corey is about as natural as it gets. Also on this week, you get a little two for Talk To Me Tuesday. A little two for Talk To Me, two, me, two, me, two for Tuesday action. I also have a chat with Bill Allen of the new movie Heroes of Dirt. You may also know him as Crew Jones from the movie Rad. We get to go over a few things. We talk Rad, we talk Heroes of Dirt, we talk his band that he had with Lou Diamond Phillips, the Pipe Fitters. I was such a huge fan growing up. Uh, It's great to hear him talk about the movie Rad. You can tell he still loves the movie, loves his fans, and it's a big part of his life, as it is all of ours. So, without further ado, my interview with the one and only Bill Allen. Bill Allen, thanks for coming on the podcast. This is a dream come true for me. Huge fan. Uh, Grew up watching Rad. Let's go ahead and start with Heroes of the Heroes of Dirt. Uh, what's your involvement with that movie? I'm an actor in it. I basically played Natalia Shire a role in this, if you're familiar with Rat. I'm, I'm the disapproving parent of the young, upcoming BMXer. And uh, I kind of turn around towards the end and, and see the light. And so it's uh, kind of interesting to see the sport from that perspective now, but it's a really nice movie. I'm very proud of it. How did you get involved with it? Eric Bugby, the director and one of the writers of the movie, called me kind of out of the blue. He was a rad fan growing up and a BMXer also. Mm-hmm. So uh, he thought if he's going to do the next generation BMX movie, wouldn't it be cool to have Crew Jones in it? I think. <laughs> so uh, we, we hit it off immediately and had a real nice working relationship. So, yeah, it turned out very well, I thought. I'm, I'm really happy with our work together. Yeah, watching the preview for it, I turned to my wife and I was like, he's basically playing his mom. <laughs> you know, you definitely that's, played that's it. That's it. What's the, what's the most recent stuff you've been doing uh, acting-wise? Uh, I guess Heroes of Dirt, since it's in theaters now, I'm, I'm now in preparation for my next role, which will be on a BMX bike and a motorcycle. So we're developing a script right now that, that is going to be very stunt-heavy. Uh, and kind of put me back in that extreme sports role that uh, that I kind of have uh, a little cachet with. Right. Yeah, it's kind of holding off on talking, speaking of Rad. I mean, I know it's a huge part of 
part of your past, but, uh, you know, I just kind of keep, we're kind of keeping getting back to it. I'll kind of give you my story, uh, with rad, you know, my, my dad being the, uh, VCR connoisseur that he was in the eighties, you know, he was one of the first people I ever knew that had one, you know, bought the big $600 VCR and, and, you know, it was our thing to, you know, go rent movies on Friday night. And, you know, uh-huh. he would, he would come out with like four, he would always tell me to go, you know, I had to get two for the weekend, you know, not even exaggerating. One would always be rad. Like I would get rad uh-huh. and, you know, something else. And, and uh, that would go on for a while. So, you know, rad is a huge part of my childhood. I've seen some with your interviews because it kind of say the same with me. Like, like to me, rad was my, my little hidden gem, you know, not, you know, if, if you knew about it, you could quote every word of it, but if you didn't, you know, you didn't, you know, when kind of social media, Facebook and all those things popped up, you know, it was almost, that was almost everybody's story. That was like, you know, everybody got it, you know, on Friday and Saturday night, everybody rented it from the mom and pop right. store. Yeah. yeah. Let's see, you know, when social media kind of started popping up and you saw the fans kind of coming out of the woodwork, how did you, how did you react to that? Well, I was very pleased, obviously. And I had some awareness that, it had gained popularity on VHS and your story is very typical, I think of a lot of the kids back in the day. So, um, once the 25th anniversary rolled around and we were invited to Canada, Hal Needham was there and it was kind of a worldwide event. Almost people were coming in from all parts of the globe. Yeah. And there were some other screenings around that time. And that's kind of when it became clear to me that people still, Loved the movie. It still resonated with a certain portion of the population and that there was still interest in, in hearing the continuing saga and kind of looking back and reliving the old times at the same time. Just looking back on that, too, just, a, you know, it's such a such a great time capsule of the 80s. You know, I was a, I was a kid growing up in, in like rural Kentucky and I had a BMX bike and I was out in the driveway trying to, you know, do all those great uh, tricks. Learned very quickly that I could not do any of those tricks. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it was just a, it was a great movie. And even when I met my, you know, future wife, that was one of her. And when I mentioned Rad, she was like, oh, my God, ass lighting, you know. And, you know, oh, you, nice. you know, it's just one of those, like, nice moments in life. So I see a lot on, uh, I see a lot of pictures of you now with, like, current BMX guys and, you know, they're always like, "Oh my God, Jones was at the at the meet today." I mean, how are you? Uh, how are you reacting with all that? Well, I've reconnected with a lot of these guys. In fact, I'm out here in Huntington Beach right now as part of our Tuesday jam session. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been very enriching for me, and I think the fans really seem to like that we're still hanging out. And now I'm taking freestyle lessons from Martin <laughs> and tr- trying to kind of revive the brand and. and uh, reconnect with the fans that are still enthusiastic. So it's been it's been a huge joy for me. So the crew ever take his uh, SATs? Crew uh, bugged out to Hollywood and started working in movies and TV, you know, and kind of uh, never did what his parents told him to do. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to do that. Uh, the other thing I noticed, you know, you're up, you're on another one of my favorite uh, '80s '80s TV shows with the the episode of Family Ties you did. How was, uh, how was working on Family Ties back then? It was great. You know, it was a well-oiled machine by the time I got there. Yeah. And uh, I got to work with Michael J. Fox, and, and he was shooting Back to the Future at the time. 
if you ever see that movie, it's pretty that, popular. Yeah, that was also another movie that kind of had to be released on VHS and gained popularity that way. Yeah, right? I, I actually auditioned for that movie. Not audition. I went and met Bob Zemeckis over in Amblin on the uh, Warner Brother lot. And then you know, a few weeks later, I'm working with Michael Fox, who's doing Back to the Future at night while he's shooting uh, Family Ties. I mean, it was just a, a, an amazing feat for that guy to to pull off yeah and so uh no it was it was a pretty heady time sorry about that oh sorry you know it's a very very cool thing and then how did the uh how did the fight fitters come about the play that i did with uh brandon lee Mm -hmm. and it was uh directed by john lee hancock of uh saving mr banks fame and the blind side and so we did a play about a blues band and the play kind of folded but the band stayed together yeah so so we started touring Lou Diamond Phillips joined the the act and because of his name we were able to get pretty insanely great gigs yeah and so we did that we did that for a number of years off and on and uh, I still continue with the music I recently produced a CD mm-hmm. and played on it called the King of Clubs it's a tribute to our friend uh, Bubs Henderson who was a Texas blues uh legendary texas blues player and who passed away a couple of years ago so my brother and i chuck devoris produced a cd of his tunes and had a lot of rock stars a lot of studio musicians sit in on it and uh it's called king of clubs on amazon tv baby very nice very nice kind of when the internet boom of the late 90s kind of popped up that's when you know you're like wonder what's up with bill allen and you know you find out that he's you were actually on the Nashville network when I lived in Nashville, and I kind of, you know, I was like, oh, if I could have just, if I would have known. But uh, that's right, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time in Nashville. All right. So you're in acting school with Lou Diamond Phillips in Texas. Is that the, is that the story? A wonderful character actor by the name of Adam Rourke started yeah. a film acting school in Arlington, okay. and so I was one of the first students, as was Lou. And within a couple of years, I was out here, and then there was a national hunt for the. And that's how he ended up out in Los Angeles. That must have been nice, you know, seeing him, you know, his rise. Basically, you've, you've touched on like three of my all-time favorite movies as a kid, being La Bamba, Back to the Future, and, and Rad. <laughs> so, you know, you... There you go. Yeah, yeah I was there of the night of the premiere of La Bamba and was there the night Lou became a star. It was, uh, it was unforgettable. So with Rad, was there, was there a premiere for Rad or was it just... Put in some yeah, theaters. There was, a for Rad. there was a premiere for Rad. I was out on the road promoting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they had, they had a proper premiere and a and a release. Do well on the release, but as you know, it sounded pretty impressive. What's the uh, what's the holdup with it being released on DVD? I'm told it's going to be released next year. Yeah, there's legal issues that I have not been privy to uh, that have held it back. But in a strange way, it's kind of added to the mystique of it. Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard to find. Yeah, and I'll kind of go back to get you on the line. I give you my my one other story with, you know, my dad being like the he was just a huge movie buff, and uh, he he would buy via you know VHS movies of the previously released you know previously viewed movies at uh, at movie stores forever. And uh, I always told him I was like, you ever see a copy of Rad? You got to get it for me. And the mom and pop store that we used to go to all the time closed down 
And I guess they sold off their inventory to another uh, place in town, but, you know, we just didn't know about it. God, six, seven years later, he was like, hey, I found that movie Rad that you liked, and he threw it to me. So I got it, and I looked at it, and on the side of the box was the old sticker from the little mom-and-pop place that I rented it as a kid. So technically it was the same copy that I you know, would rent over and over, which was kind of a cool serendipitous moment. You know, it kind of came back to me. Going with the uh, hard to find and everything, I mean, that's one thing I'll, I watch. You know, you can watch stuff on eBay, and you sit there and watch, and Rad still goes for 30 bucks on eBay. V- you know, no VHS is going for anything, and, you know, you find a copy of Rad, and, you know, it's instant 25, 30 bucks, and the the soundtrack on vinyl is like 150. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's pretty insane, like the, uh, like the underground uh, secondary market for Rad. Insane, right? I've seen a VHS still in silicone go for a thousand bucks. Wow, like a, like an unused yeah. copy. Yeah, and I know the guy who actually owns the bike that's on the poster, and I think he paid seventy thousand for that. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's crazy. But I mean, it's such a it's such a like I don't know. It's just the classic movie of you know like the the kid kid does good and you know it's it's got you know the soundtrack alone. You can you know you, I can play those songs and you know, immediately get in a good mood and, you know, get ready for work. And, you know, it's so it's so funny that 20, 30 years later, you know, it still resonates like that with people. But it's it's definitely, um, you know, you don't get much more cult classic than, than Rad to me. People love it, and it's kind of uh, given me a second win, so I'm really happy about it. Yeah, definitely. Don't have much more. Is there anything else you want to get into? Anything else you want to tell anybody? Get the word uh, out, how they can reach you? Else I want to I want to say, oh, yeah, I've got a book out called My Rad Career. Right. And it encompasses uh, some of it is based on rad, but a lot of it just talks about my career as an actor and some of the people I've gotten to work with. But you can go on Amazon and look at some of the reviews. They've been really kind of wildly enthusiastic. And you can also get it on uh, my website, myradcareer.com. Awesome. And uh, I have a fan page on uh, Facebook, and my Twitter account is at Bill Slim Allen. Well, Bill, I definitely appreciate you doing this. I know you didn't have to. It's a pleasure. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, and I'll send you a link whenever I get this up, okay? Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bill. Bye. Wow, that was a dream come true, talking to Bill Allen. I'd like to thank Bill Allen for coming on the podcast. Hopefully, if they release Rad on DVD, he'll come back on and we can go more in-depth with the movie Rad. After the podcast, obviously, had a million questions I wish I would have asked him, but I just tried not to nerd out too much on him. So, once again, thank you to Bill Allen. And up next, I talked to Fred Corey. Uh, personal story with Fred. 12-Volt Negative Earth did their first demos with Fred. Fred did not believe that I was good enough to play on those first demos, which, looking back, I was not good enough to play uh, extremely hurt at the time, but I understood he was just trying to get a good record. When Cinderella came back around, he went off to do that. 12 Volt Negative Earth ended up doing a independent album. Uh, he got wind of it, heard it, liked it, wanted to work on our second EP. I said yes, but the one stipulation was I had to play bass on it. He agreed, and it turned out to be one of the best recordings that I've ever done. I appreciate him appreciate him pushing me to be a better player. Uh, it was also great to just sit down and play and him approve. His approval meant a lot to me back then. And he 
is still this this day. So here is my conversation with Fred Corey. Yellow. What's going on, Fred? Yo, man, how you doing? Oh, just living the dream, sir. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> oh, man. Love it. So I've got a ton of stuff to go over with you. <laughs> Alrighty. I did all my Fred Corey research. Cool. <clears throat> you do a lot of cool stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, I try to get into things here and there. Cool. All right, we'll just jump into it. We'll start off with you. Start off with the obvious. You know, uh, how did you get into music, and what brought you to the drums? Uh, started with uh, violin at age five, and um, it, you know that was a heavy duty schedule, a lot, a lot of practice, and kind of thrown into it. Uh, and then from that, it. it kind of progressed to I think with all the training I got uh, instruments came easy to me I could kind of pick something up and make some sort of sound on it whether it be a good sound or a bad sound it just seemed easy sports weren't other than soccer and tennis like I couldn't play sports I kept getting cut from baseball teams didn't like football Um, football would have been great if you didn't have to put on all that pads and get the crap kicked out of you daily. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, so it was kind of music for me. And um, and then, you know, I couldn't meet any girls playing violin. So in came the drums. And then from that trumpet and then, you know, anything Cause else the, that I... Because the trumpet gets all the girls, right? Well, yeah. it's uh, It does in... Um, the Eastern Bloc. They love that over there. And where did you grow up? Uh, New York. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought you spent some time overseas or something. Yeah, I spent a lot of time over there when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the influence of all the different music from around the world, I think, helped. Yeah. Helping me now. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then from there, you went to, assuming, you know, adolescence and all that stuff, and then went out to California? Yeah, I started coming out here to California, I think when I was like 13, to visit yeah. my aunt every summer. And then um, and then I think joined my first band back in New York at 13. Yeah. And then um, I think at 16, I was doing a record for Mike Varney. Oh, nice. In Northern California, that was Chastain. Mm-hmm. And from there, the Aussie gig, and then... It all kind of happened really quickly after that. So you played with Ozzy? Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of the runner-up. Uh, Randy Castillo okay. had a cast on his leg when he was auditioning, and I was there. It was a cattle call, and like a bunch of people. I was just going to go to Berkeley, and Lee Burke, who was the, um, he was the uh, dean of Berkeley. Oh, uh, school was named after him, and. Uh, I went to him and I said, listen, I got a cattle call. I, I got an audition for, for Ozzy. Um, and he was really cool. He was like, is it a cattle call? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know what that is, Sean? <laughs> and I said, I don't. And he said, it could be like 200 people auditioning yeah. for the same gig. He goes, but I think you should go and try because you can come out of the school with a piece of paper saying you're the greatest drummer in the world and never get that opportunity again. Or you could go do it. And if you get the gig, then you don't need us. 
And if you don't, we'll be here. Right. Which was the greatest advice. You know, oh, yeah. he wasn't, you know, a lot of other educators would be like, no, you stay in school, give us the money. And um, it was hard back then getting into Berkeley. I got in for violin and I was going to do the old switcheroo when I got there. So I wanted to do drums. But so anyway, I got the audition and um, it was down to three of us. And Randy's, uh, he had a cast, so he couldn't do the gig. So they flew me over to England. And then I started doing pre-production for uh, The Ultimate Sin. And it was Jakey Lee and Bob Daisley. And, oh, wow. and then just a couple of weeks later, Randy was like, screw this. And he cut his own cast off. And he said, uh, and it's something that I always remembered, you know, I had a 50% chance of getting the gig if I took off my cast and 100%, and, you know, 100% chance of not getting the gig if I listened to my doctors and didn't take off the cast. Oh, man. So um, he took it off, and that's who they wanted, and that's who they got. And uh, Randy and I were dear, dear friends until he died. That's crazy. I, I, you know, through all the time knowing you, I've never known that you uh, pretty much well, they, started they, out there. They spelled my name wrong. Oh, well. Wow. Jake was like, dude, I knew that I, I freaking I saved you. I was like, why? He goes, because they were going to write C-O-U-R-Y for your last name. And I told them, no way, it's C-O-R-Y. <laughs> special thanks. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so, nice. Uh, so, so, it was cool. It was fun. Oh, awesome. So you went from Aussie. Did you go to London after that? Like the band London? Or was that kind of all in the same time? Aussie. Mm, I don't know in London. I think with London, I met Eric Singer through London. So Aussie, I don't know what was first. Honestly, it might have been Ozzy. Mm. It might have been. I I don't. I <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't even remember. Just looking at but, the um, yeah London lineup, you know, just the, over the years, you know, London was like yeah, a breed, was the, like a breeding ground of just you know you yeah. did London you did London and then you went off and did something you know great totally yeah that was that was you know I liked the band when I was in it but that's where I met Eric Singer and we we remained friends we're still friends. Um, and, um, he, uh, I called him, I went back to New York. I think I had quit London at that point, or maybe it was right after Ozzy. I don't know. And, um, and Ozzy was you know, a couple of weeks, yeah. you know, enough time for it to come out in circus magazine that I was the drummer, which was wow. cool. Um, which I think helped me get the Cinderella gig, but the, I asked, um, Eric, you know, hey, you know of anything happening? I think he was playing with Rita Ford or maybe Sabbath at the time. And he said, yeah, there's a band called Cinderella. And I went and auditioned, and, and I got that. So yeah, I owed everything to him. That was cool. That was great. And Billy Sheehan was the first guy that turned me on to Mike Varney. Huh. Um, so when that happened, and the first big tour was with David Lane Roth, there was Billy in the dressing room, and I was like, Billy? <laughs> what are you doing here? I said, I'm the member for this band, which was really cool because I had known him just through going and seeing his band and handing him a, a cassette saying, this is me, can you help? And he gave me some advice. I can't help. He went and listened to it and came back a few months later. It was Billy. And uh, I said, did you listen to my tape? And, and he said, I did. And I didn't know him. I just snuck backstage right. in a club. I was underage. I said, did you listen to it? And he said, I did listen to it. I can't help you, but you should try this guy. He might be able to. I think he will. And he said, I don't know how to get a hold of him. You know, there's no internet or anything back then. He <laughs> said, find his number and call him. So 
so I did. And, uh, you know, I was doing a record a few months later and then I got in my band. So that's people helping people. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely always been like that. What were those early days of Cinderella like? Uh, amazing. <laughs> it was, it was all, all very fast and a lot of work. Yeah. 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 We worked our nuts off. Yeah, I mean, just judging by, I mean, some of those first tours you guys did, I mean, you were out with Bon Jovi on the Slippery One Wet Tour, and, you know, your album's selling like 50,000 copies a week, which is, you know, in today's standards, that would have been triply insane, but, you know. Yeah, I think we were, in the first, uh, when the record came out, we were selling 100,000 copies a week. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy is right. And then the <laughs> second record shipped seven hundred and fifty thousand the first week. Yeah, but back then we couldn't. We we didn't even break the top ten right. the first week with seven hundred and fifty thousand records. Uh, gosh, you sell that in a week here, and you know, I don't. I think you get to be president for a day. I, I'm almost positive uh, that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's it's. it's yeah, the Serb just had a number one record, and I think they sold at 130 or 150 thousand. Right. Yeah, you're seeing right yeah. now. You're seeing albums. Yeah, you're definitely seeing albums now that you know 60 thousand copies, and you're the number one album of the week. And yeah, crazy. That's <laughs> insane. That's sad. That's just the, the death of an industry. It is sad. I've noticed too, and I, I obviously I don't know the exact formula for it, but I know that even gold and platinum records now are they're they're formulating how many uh, how many uh, views on like youtube you have are calculated as yeah you know calculated in it now and stuff it just blows my mind yeah i don't think that yeah that's not a platinum record no. a platinum record is a platinum record and that's what it, you should get in a youtube award but <laughs> a platinum record is a million copies and if you can't do it you can't do it you don't get a platinum record they should just make different records you know right hundred thousand should be some sort of, a, you know, they should absolutely get awards, but I don't think it should be, uh, I don't think it should be, uh, shouldn't be what it is. So how'd you get involved with Sam Kinison doing that project? Uh, just hanging around back then. We all, we all kind of, once you're you're kind of doing you're in that group of guys mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody right and you know hey you want to play on my record sure I'd love to and that's how that's how it happens and then we just go and record and have fun it was who was on that track with me it was Jimmy Bain mm-hmm. Slash um Sam Somebody else, Richie Zito, produced it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. That was really cool. I was hanging around Sam. Was he? Oh, he was great. Was he? He was great. He was really funny, generous, kind. Yeah, he was awesome. I never saw anything weird with him. Huh. Um, never. Except when Billy Idol came up. We were playing in Vegas. Billy Idol walked on stage Sam walked over to him and for some reason punched him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And then just kept singing. It was very strange. 
<laughs> How did Billy react to that? I don't think he liked it. Well, nobody I don't think does. he liked it too much. It was very strange. But um, I don't know, there must have been something going on between them. But uh, that's the only weird thing I ever saw happen. And I don't know. He might have been laughing. I, I don't think he meant to hit him. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I can't speak for him, but I think it was just like a, you know, why would he call him up on stage? I think it was kind of maybe doing the white wedding punch or something, you know, how they do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then actually kind of hit him. And I was like, that's weird. I think, I don't know if he stayed on stage or he left, but that was the only thing that I found odd. I didn't know. Great. All right. So you can actually I vaguely remember you telling me this years ago, but um, popped up that you filled in for Steven Adler on the Appetite for Destruction tour for a little bit. That has that had to have been insane. Uh, yeah, that was one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> that was really. Um, I was asked that night at four in the morning uh, if I would can get on a flight. And I was, and then I was on a flight at seven and then I was playing that night with them and there was no rehearsal or anything, but I knew the songs because I listened to that record so much. Oh yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, great. Hey, do you have a pause on that thing? Yeah. Do you take your time? Can you pause it real quick? Yeah. Thanks. Really quick. Hold on. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's all right, man. All right. So let's see. Where are we at? We're in. uh... That was a Guns N' Roses. How was it? It was great. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. That was amazing. Yeah. So I mean, just tell me, like the the being a part of that music scene back then. I mean, just like how obviously it changed early '90s, but just tell me, tell me about the late '80s, about the uh, about the music scene. Well, it was it was uh, you know there's a lot of it. Uh, not like now though. People are still going in studios and making records and choosing the right parts and choosing the right tones and you got to dial it in on an amp. You want something with a chorus, you got a chorus and you have to get the right, you want a clean tone, you get a Fender, you want the dirt, you get a Marshall. Now, it's one box does it all. Yeah. And you can take take after take after take after take and, and put it all together and back then, you couldn't do that. You had to write, you only had a certain amount of tracks, you had to choose the right sound, the right performance and the right parts. And people played as a band, and that's the difference from now. Yeah. I, you know, I love new music. There are no hooks, and every band sounds the same. <laughs> no, I definitely agree with they you there. Like mix the same, well, because they're, they're the same sounds. Everybody's using Fractal or, or Number, you know, uh, and they're all using the same drum samples, mm-hmm. the same bass plug-in. And, you know, just cranking it out on Logic or Cubase or Pro Tools or whatever it is. And it's, of course, it's going to sound the same. It's the same sounds. Yeah, there's definitely no, uh, yeah. It sounds great. 
Right. You know, it sounds incredible. They sound, records sound better than anything I've ever heard. But they don't sound, uh, there's no distinguishable characteristics in anything like back then. Mm-hmm. Guitar tones and drum sounds and, you know, vocalists and songs and, you know, you could tell bands from each other. Now I just like everybody. Yeah. Say what bands you like? I like, I like them all because they all sound the same to me. <laughs> that band, the one band. Yeah, one band. You know, I can say, oh, that song, but I don't know who does it. That's so funny. Like the, that way for other people. The producer in you goes to that. I, I was asking about the 80s music scene, and you go to the actual music where I'm looking for the for some dirt. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I go all the way in. Yeah, I mean, the scene was it was fun. It was just everybody having a good time, and hair up and dressing ridiculously. But then, you know, at that time it was cool, and it was all no political agenda. There was no negativity. There was no, it was just all fun. Yeah. It was, just, you know, it was all about girls and parties. And, you know, if you look in those videos, everybody was smiling. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. definitely a, Definitely a fun time for music. I just remember. Uh, I was actually, really, that's a great way to put it. It was a fun time for music, yeah. Because it, you know, it digressed into the early '90s of everybody kind of being sad and, you know, depressed. You know, with their yeah, that was that was strange. How the did music you? Was cool. Yeah, I mean, some great music yeah, came music out of the time. How did you? Uh, how did you see the change from from you know, the big stadium shows to, you know, bands like Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots that kind of came out? How did that? How did that affect your career? And how did that just kind of affect everything around you? Well. It was, you know, I I don't blame them for taking it over. I blame all of us for pushing it. Um, you know, it it boiled over. It was getting nuts. Mm-hmm. There was there was a lot of crap coming out and getting oversaturated with just too much. And there was, and then bands like Cinderella. You know, we did Heartbreak Station, great record. Yeah. But it wasn't hard rock. It still rocked, but it wasn't night songs or, you know, it wasn't like ACDC gives you the same friggin' record every year. But we always wanted to grow and do something different. But I don't think there would have been a problem with that, but everybody put out records that didn't really sound like themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, Poison put out a record without CC that was like this blues record. (laughs) Cool record. (laughs) Yeah, it was like cool record. Wasn't didn't sound like poison. Yeah, uh, Rat put out uh, "Reach for the Sky" or something like that. Not their best record. Yeah, Warrant did a very heavy record, awesome record. Yeah, didn't sound like Warrant, who was you know the pop super. They were on their way to be Journey, you know. Yeah, and Skid Row put out their thing, which was heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, again. They were on their you know, pop balladeers and more rock and poppy side, and they put out something heavy. So we all kind of did the natural progression which we wanted to do, and all put out good records, but they none of them sounded exactly like what people were expecting. So, and then pile on a thousand bands that sounded like us coming out with stuff. It was like, all right, enough. Let's hit the reset button. And Nirvana came out with the most killer rock record that was 
just guitar amps and no frills. You know yep. what I mean? Big drums. If you listen to that record, it's that first one, amazing. And it's it went back to what we were doing back at the beginning. Guitar yeah. amp, drums, bass, and vocal. And stop with the crap. No more, you know, huge reverbs. And it was just getting so crazy that that they were, you know, they came out. And then, you know, Stone Temple Pilots were the answer to pop. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got had them and then you had, you know, all those other bands from Seattle. And Seattle was just doing really stripped down Pearl Jam. Unbelievable, that band. You know, they're so into vintage instruments. Mike McCready, he was into all the stuff that Tom was into. It's the same guy. Yeah. But it just came out, you know, just really stripped down and, and in your face. And, and and I think that's what people were finally happy to see. It was just a reset button. And that got reset quickly. Yeah. That got followed up with other stuff. There, You know, that is kind of not working anymore that that kind of sound but the big bands always remain there pro jam is still there um um you know, if nirvana was around you know if kurt was around there'd probably be a few bands i love the food fighters oh yeah. this is an extension of that but he's just and you can tell that dave is just a hard rocker that they were the same thing that we were doing at the beginning and the Foo Fighters are amazing. They've been around for how long now? Like 20 years now. 20 years, yeah. So there aren't many bands that have, there's a lot of one-hit wonders mm-hmm. that come out and people are like, oh, you've been around. We're still a band that's almost 30 years. But, my gosh, Foo Fighters, relevant, still putting out, you know, they're doing stadiums. Yeah. After 20 years. Good for them. Killer. You know, and Bon Jovi doing stadiums. You know, he's never going to stop. He's bigger in Europe than the Rolling Stones. So, it's crazy. It's, it's you know, a lot of the, the 80s stuff stuck, but I think it was just the, the top tier. I think with two of the... the... You know, the 80s bands that are kind of popping back up, or not popping back up, but are staying relevant and kind of even reinfiltrating pop culture, you know, even like a, like a Motley Crue with you know, home sweet home kind of, you know, coming into movies and stuff. And even, you know, yeah. so I feel like, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone is all, you know, every time anything sad ever happens, you know, you just want to sing that song to somebody. Yeah. I know. It's just, totally. so, you know, you've, you've and got look that, at Motley on tour this year. They're yeah. unbelievable. They're, you know, they're bigger than ever. Mm-hmm. And, um, Motley was always a good one to adapt to the time. Um, and their show is, 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 state of the art yeah and i think that's a big part of it is you know they are going out with a bang i think they'll be back one day but maybe not i think that what they'll end up doing is you know this might be their last tour but i think they'll end up doing you know shows here and there kind of thing or one off you know one-off yeah. shows yeah. but with I mean, a band like the cool thing hmm? i was just saying with a band like them you know they've got the uh or a you know a band like them with the you know the music that they made like you know it was great music at the time, great music now. But you know you had a lot of the '80s bands that kind of came and went that might have looked cool, 
might have had a cool stage show, but just didn't, you know, a song is a good song and, you know, a song will last. So a lot of those guys kind of went by the wayside just because they may have looked super, super cool, but they didn't have the material to back it up. End of the day, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's one thing I think, well, I'll get into this in a minute, but uh, let's go one more thing with the, uh, the old school stuff. Actually watch it, get him. Getting ready to give you a call. I was watching the uh, Moscow Music Peace Festival. And uh, oh, cool. were you on the uh, infamous plane ride over? Yeah, I sure was. Yeah? Give me a story, because every time anybody talks about that plane ride, it's, it was something crazy. So Sebastian. <laughs> Sebastian just friggin' going Looney Tunes up there, and Ozzy just wanting to kill him. Because every time Ozzy was trying to sleep, Sebastian, dude, it's your Ozzy, dude, this is killer. And he was... So excited, um, Sebastian. He he is excited anyway. He's got so much energy. And, he still does. Uh, put him in, yeah. Put him in a tube with his favorite bands because he's still such a fan of music and such a fan of everybody in the band. Even though he's their friend, mm-hmm. he still looks up to everybody. I mean, that's what a beautiful quality. You know what I mean? Yeah. And. Uh, and boy, but he was being you know, trapped on a, in a tube with your biggest fan, <laughs> and it was hilarious. Yeah, he was so fun, and and you know, at one point I just tried to jump out of his seat, and uh, and just I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and Sharon <laughs> wouldn't let him, but it was very funny. Yeah. Oh, that would have been fun. Ozzy, cool. Ozzy bites the head off Sebastian or something. We went and saw and Sebastian. We went and saw Sebastian a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a definitely a good show. He's still still rocking it. You know, he had his daughter out there yeah, with him. Did. It was just like yeah. a it was his daughter's like eighth birthday or something, and you know, he sang a song to her, and my, and my wife's almost crying because it's like the sweetest thing you've ever seen. You know, right? Was, yeah, no, he's great. Uh, my buddy plays guitar for him, Brent Woods. Oh yeah, one of my favorite guitar players. Well, actually, since um, um, where did he come from? Because I mean, he was killing it. I, I didn't know. Brent is amazing. I have him play on anything that I need. Great guitar. Uh, like I did these things for um, for Sony online. Yeah. It's called Dragon's Prophet. It's a, like a trilogy. Okay. And uh, and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna sing some. I'm gonna sing a, like a holder, like a place setter. And they ended up going, yeah, we love the singer. He's great. I was like, oh crap. So <laughs> I ended up doing the tracks, and um, he played all the guitar. He's so good. He plays on some of my stuff for the Kings if I have to do like a special holiday song. Uh, he used to be in a band called, I don't know, Wildside or something, but he was also in um, Vince Neil's band. Okay. Yeah, I was sitting there watching so, him play. Yeah. I mean, he was just, yeah, he was up there just destroying it. And uh, I was like, man, he's got to be from somewhere. And, and I even kind of yeah. like, I think I even tried to kind of look into him and nothing really popped up. So. I just didn't know if he was yeah, like some sort of so like almost like a diamond in the rough. Totally. One of my favorites. I and mean, if I started a band again, it would be with him. Nice. So after Cinderella, you do arcade. You do that for a couple, yeah. years, couple, couple records or a couple of years, right? Uh, yeah. Two records. Two records. And then, um, so I met you, I was trying to place this probably around 97, 96, somewhere in there. Probably 96. Yeah. 95 or six. So what brought you to Hendersonville, Tennessee? That's <laughs> mm. now uh, 
was a big earthquake in in California, and every all my friends, everybody moved, and I had a house in New Jersey. Yeah, I moved back to Jersey for a couple of years, and I got really bored. So I've always wanted to live in Phoenix, but I had some friends, you know, from driving on a bus and whatnot that lived in Tennessee. So I checked out both places, and Tennessee just seemed to have a music scene that mm-hmm. was starting up at the time, and. Um, there were none of these eighties implants there yet. <laughs> and uh Yeah, they definitely came, but <laughs> Yeah, to me now there's too many. Like I, I can't go back there. Because it's just it's oversaturated with it's just oversaturated. I don't know what's happening musically there, so um but there's just, you know, too many people. Um well there are there also are tons out here, but I know too many people in Nashville now. Um, but I went there just to check it out, and uh, I loved it. So I stayed there, and, and then happened to come across that studio uh, in Hendersonville, and then um, met a couple of guys that were builders that wanted to start building studios, and I made a deal with them to finish off I think our place was Willie Nelson's studio at one point mm-hmm. and uh, said I'll tell you what I'll buy the supplies and you guys build it and we'll use it as a showroom and now I've, they're one of the premier studio builders in Nashville oh wow yeah they're building everybody's huge rooms and they're doing very very well uh, but, and they did a great job with our room and I loved it and that's how I met uh, I met you yeah that's definitely a uh, you know kind of going back and looking you know I try to I've had a couple guests on that, um, you know, obviously from my early early days in music, and just trying to go back and and place where where I met these people, and like it was very, it was, like, I'm not gonna go serendipitous, but it was very strange that, you know, I was like 17. Uh, Fred moves to town. You there was a record store in Hendersonville. You had talked to that talked to the owner Mike. He would talk, you know, I used to go in there like every day and just pick his brain about music because he. You know, he was older, but he was, you know, a great guitar player and great, you know, just a wealth of knowledge of music. So I would just pick his brain every day after school. And he finally, you know, said that, hey, Fred Corey's in town. And I had just I had just joined with the other guys in the band probably a couple of months earlier. And, you know, the, he said you're, they were looking for a rock band to, to produce and stuff. And I guess... You know, got us in touch, and then uh, we came down to your studio and played you like some eight-track demo on a cassette, and then you know that's where it all kind of started with you. But that's, you know, it was uh, it was you know, it was very crazy to be you know, like you know, seventeen in your first real band, and three months later, you know, already in the studio with uh, Fred Corey from Cinderella. <laughs> well, I had a great time. You guys are my favorite band that I did out there. Uh, Remember your singer wouldn't he didn't want anybody to see him sing so he we set up a bush and he <laughs> sang behind the tree. I do remember. That. Yep. And if I would talk to him he, and while I'm setting up the mic, he would shake to, to say yes. <laughs> I'm like, "Can you hear me?" He would shake. <laughs> so, so weird. Crazy. But um it was it was a great band and later I hear a lot of your riffs in another band from Tennessee, a heavy band that came out at the time. No names shall be mentioned, but um, 
it was amazing. I was like, that's your guys' riff. Does anybody know those guys? Oh, yeah, so-and-so was with them last weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah there's a couple was... of uh, couple of popular bands out now, even to this day, being brought up in this conversation that, you know, like, wait a minute, that was, that's very similar to, you know, yeah. the stuff that we did. Yeah. But, those yeah. are great records. I thought of you the other day because you're the first person. I was like, who are you into? You're like, Korn. Like, Freaking Korn. What are you talking about, Korn? <laughs> I had no idea. Yep. And uh, just last month, I did a track with Monkey. <laughs> and I was thinking about you. And we did a thing for Rihanna, me, him, and my friend uh, Pete. And uh, he was in the studio. And I, I was like, man, there was a space player that freak out over you guys. Yep. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was that. So as soon as I had him coming in the studio, I thought of you. Yeah, I remember one time uh, when I first, you know, obviously that time of the time of life, but I dreaded my hair and I walked in and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with your hair? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh, what have you done? Right? Oh man. Yeah, two things came out of that, that uh, another one of your band members, two things that I learned. Never make fun of somebody's hair. Uh, because I look at mine, it's ridiculous. And uh, and when your drummer, wonderful Travis, walked in in a suit, mm-hmm. and I was sitting at the thing, I was like, "Dude, who died?" <laughs> and he goes, uh, "It was my uncle." I was like, "Oh my god!" I, I, <laughs> I never heard that one. That's awesome. Oh man, it was awful. I remember the suit; it was gray. I'll never forget gray with a blue tie. I'll never forget it. That's well, so bad. That's crazy, Fred. Way to go. But we had a lot of fun in that, that band. You had a great band. It was Twelve fun. and Negative Earth. It was so good. Yep. You actually made us change our name from, uh, we had the original name, and then you were like, that name's terrible. You need to change it to something else. And so we changed What was the original name? Adrenaline Hammer. Oh, yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's the band <laughs> that I joined and then brought it to you, but... Uh, yeah, you had us change it from a drilling hammer to, to 12 volt negative earth. And I, I still remember this to this day. We were in one of our first out of town shows we ever played. We were in actually Oxford. a drilling hammer is pretty cool, but I don't understand it. But go on. <laughs> uh, we were playing in Knoxville or something, and I was talking to you on the phone, and you're like, you're like, I got it. Because you kept wanting us to be just 12 volt negative, but there was typo negative, and we didn't want to be too close to that, so we were 12 volt negative Earth. And you're like, just drop the Earth. You kept saying drop the Earth, and then you, and then you go, you guys should be drop the Earth. <laughs> I was like, nah, Fred, I don't think I don't like that one either. Yeah, that's funny. But there's a lot yeah, of times, so even funny. to this, even to this day, even with this podcast, you know, those, you know, you, we would sit there and I would do a bass track. And then we would stop and I would sit there and be like, hey, Fred, tell me about, uh, you know, and I would find something out about you. And I'm like, oh, tell me about this and tell me about that. Like, I was always just that's the one thing I always remember about those early days of tracking with you. You're like, dude, just just play your part. <laughs> and I'm over there like, hey, Fred, tell me about Skid Row again, you know. But, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look at me now oh, trying to trying to hone that skill. But and then the other thing, you know, the, on a more serious note, I remember one of the very first times you ever played us back something that you recorded and I made the mistake of saying, man, we're going to have the best demo in Nashville. And you turned over and looked at me and you're like, no, you need to be thinking you have the best demo in the world and you're competing against rage against the machine. And like, you just, 
like made my brain open up to that. And even uh, talking about this podcast to somebody the other day, they were saying something about, oh, you know, it'd be good. It's your first, you know, it's your first few episodes and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's got to be great. You know, I'm competing with everybody and, you know, just getting it out there. And it's still like to this day, kind of, I always look back to some of those early Fred quotes in life. Oh, that's cool. Well, I think that's, you know, everybody tries to get to the next level. And, and when you get in the next level and you're at the bottom of that level, yeah. it's like you, your competition is, you know, for a, 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 let's say a female singer, when she comes out, she does her demo yeah. and then gets a deal. Now her competition is everybody she was listening to, whether it be Pink or Rihanna or Katy Perry or Taylor Swift. Now it's, that's the competition. Yeah. And so it has to be great. Well, I, think, I think too with the uh you know with the internet age and how instantaneous everything is and you know your your competition is everybody no matter if you're doing a four track demo in your basement or doing a full production you know people's attention spans and what they listen to they don't they don't care that you did it on four track in your basement they they want to hear you know if they're shuffling on their iPod they're going to go from Rihanna to your song to someone else and you know, if it doesn't sound good, it's going to definitely stick out at that point. Right. Right. Unless it's so lo-fi that it's supposed to be. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're you know, yeah. like, oh, man, you know, you're still going to get those people like, oh, man, this. can you believe this album was recorded on a four track in their basement? You know. Right. But, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that, too. But, you know, just looking back on those days, it's it's crazy. I mean, and even another story I tell a lot is. uh the very first tour that we ever booked, we ended up opening for you guys in St. Louis. Like, you're like, <laughs> I called you on a payphone or something. And you're like, where are you at? And I'm like, oh, we're in Indianapolis. And you're like, get to St. Louis and open for us. <laughs> like, okay. So we just showed up. Cool. And, you know, we showed up in St. Louis and opened for you guys. And, you know, that was in 97, 97-ish when you guys first went back out. And, you know, that place, I've I've played there since then. It was a uh, pops in St. St. Louis. I played mm-hmm. there since then in, uh, you know, actual touring, you know, touring bands that I played with after 12 volt. And I've never seen that place that packed from when you guys played it. And that's a pretty, you know, pretty well-established place. Mm, that's cool. But, you know, it was just that it was cool to see you guys back out there, you know, cause kind of missed, you know, I didn't get to see a whole lot of that, you know, that, Knowing you, that was the Fred that I knew, and then you know, seeing you back in like rock star mode, that was pretty awesome to see. But well, I don't know <laughs> if I ever made that mode, but you know what I mean. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, judging by your resume, oh, that's great. So, <clears throat> so I was, I was, you know, in my my Fred Corey research. Did you play on a Hannah Montana song? I did. <laughs> uh, I played on a song called "The Best of Both Worlds." Yeah. That's crazy. Um, for the movie, yeah, it was uh, it was cool. I did a few Disney things, that and um, High School Musical three. Yeah, and then um, I don't know, some other Nickelodeon thing called uh, I forgot the name of that one, and Spectacular, I think it was called. Yeah, and then some movies like The Dictator and. I think uh, Anchorman 2 and I forgot some other stuff. Um, that's always fun to do. Some Disney shows. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, yeah. 
My daughter's Canada, 13. Hannah Montana. That, that's a great record. Meet Miley Cyrus. Yeah. What a great with uh, Night Out and Let's Dance. That song is unfriggin' believable. <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's 13, so I'm going to have to say, you know that, you remember? Because then obviously I grew up, or she grew up watching Hannah Montana, so that made me grow up watching Hannah Montana. You know, so, yeah. So now it's funny to know that the whole time that I was listening to that Best of Post World songs, it was you won drums. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> so what all do you what all do you do with the LA Kings? That's uh. uh I do all their uh, music. So like, what they skate out to, mm-hmm. and um, uh, like anything on the jumbotron. Yeah. And, uh, their theme song and their goal song. So when they score a goal, you know how you guys have. I like it. I love it. Yeah. They play my thing in it, the crowd uh, chants along, and uh, we're doing a new TV show called Black and White. Kind of like it's kind of like twenty four seven, you know, sports following around the Kings, the road to the cup, basically. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be twenty two episodes. It's kind of cool. Little short shorts, um, not short shorts, but shorts. <laughs> um, it's uh, really really cool. Um, and then I do the uh, well, anything that they want. Cause like we had a meeting this morning, and they they have a, a new program that they're rolling out in the community. So I'll do music to that, and do, like kind of their theme thing. Yeah. And uh, I also do the music for the um, Portland Trailblazers. Oh wow! And uh, basically the same thing for them: theme song and and everything that they play. During they have uh, you know during play they in basketball there's music that plays while they're dribbling up and then defense they play music you know defense Franco defense and with the drums yeah um, so I do that kind of stuff for them and um, yeah it's kind of cool huh. and then you're the music composer on uh, NBC show Night Shift. The NBC show called The Night Shift. Yeah, it's a medical drama. We've had two seasons, and we were leaving for a third season, which will be on next summer. So I'll start that in March. And um, I love that. That's that's the gig of a lifetime there. Uh, it's network TV, and I get to be so creative. I'm still working with you know Sony and, and NBC, so there's a lot of people involved in telling you what they want. Yeah, um, but it's amazing. It's 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 the hardest work I've done, just because the tons of hours, huge huge deadlines, you know, very fast turnarounds. So there's you can't you know wander into the studio at noon and kind of leave for dinner at six. You start at nine in the morning and go home at midnight if you go home, <laughs> right? Uh, and then you start it back up the next day, and then you get notes saying, you know, can we make this a little funnier? Can we make it a little longer? Can we make it a little sadder? Whatever it is. And uh, you're basically telling the story through the music. And you're helping tell the story. So, um, you know, uh, a really sad scene could be really hilarious with different music. Yeah. Um, So... It, it's really the coolest, the coolest thing ever. I, I really very grateful for that that gig. Um, 
and hopefully, you know, we'll get some more and get some movies and just keep doing this because, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to be this, this creative and under such pressure. I love being under that kind of pressure. Right. I work better under that. I think we all do because once you're out, outside of your little safe zone is when you do the best work. I agree with that. I mean, that's why I give myself a, I mean, I put these out every Tuesday just so I had a day where I knew I had to have, had to have a guest. I had to have it edited. I had to have my, you know, my, my personal intro and outro done. And, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, just having a, a deadline to get these done. You know, if I didn't, I think it would be a little bit more a sporadic and people wouldn't know to listen in on Tuesday or look for it on their iPhone on Tuesday. And then B, you know, I just, I don't know if I would be so driven to, you know, uh, reach out to some of the people that I have, um, you know, without, uh, without a deadline. So, so it's been fun. Right. And that's, that's the thing, you know, that was always the way it is with mixing. If you have a deadline, you get the mix done. Mm-hmm. And if you have all the time in the world, you can, you can, you know, kind of strip it down and, and look at it for so long that you start t- taking away from it. You know, you have to abandon it at some right. point. You're like, okay, I guess it's done because if not, it'll never be done. If you're a perfectionist and most artists are right, you know, it'll never be done. You know, and, uh, it's cool. We have a very busy household here. <laughs> Sounds like it. I was yeah. actually looking at your, yeah. uh, the discography on your Wikipedia page from like Oh four to now is just like you, you were a part of played drums on mixed, produce something for at least, you know, like 10 records a year. It was pretty insane. <laughs> You know, yeah. of, it's, uh, you know, you're definitely busy. Um, anything going on with Cinderella? I know Tom's out doing his solo stuff. Tom's so. out. Tom's out just crushing it out there. He's got a great band, all of our buddies from Nashville. So, um, and he's having a blast. He's got his wife out there. She's, she's doing great, uh, Savannah. They're, they're here on Tuesday. Unfortunately, I have to leave town today, so. I'm not going to, I mean, Thursday, the day after tomorrow, we were going to get together, but I have to split. So I'm not going to be able to, uh, to be here to see him. So nothing happening on, on that. And, uh, you know, just here, my wife is, she's on TV every day. She's acting like a, you know, she's on so many commercials and she's doing a play. So, we're never home. If I'm not working, she's working, so I go to her play. And, uh, <laughs> it's actually with a guy from who did the music and lyrics. It's a guy out there, Paul Overstreet, who wrote um, "When You Say Nothing at All," okay, uh, which was a big hit back there, and uh, you know, "Forever and Ever" by Randy Travis. It's, it's a country musical <laughs> out here in L.A. Yeah, nuts. You know, it's called "Sneaky Old Time." It's funny. But um, so she's working and she's on so much, you know, all the commercials and it's nutty. All right, friend, I'm gonna wrap this up. And I'm actually been uh, been putting on tracks of music after the show's over. I think today I'm gonna throw on "Canceled" by Twelve Volt Negative Earth, produced, mixed, and recorded by the one Fred Corey. So awesome. we'll, throw, we'll throw that up there. Great. And uh, like I said, man, appreciate you taking the time. I'll have to have you on again. And then uh, we'll, get a, we'll delve. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I appreciate it, thanks Fred. For, uh, thanks for including me. And there you have it, folks. Talk to me. Episode four is in the books. I'd like to thank Fred Corey 
for coming on and to Bill Allen for taking a few moments to come on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for out there. You're writing, writing in. Hit me up on Twitter at talk to me talk. Hit me up on the Twitter at talk to me talk and I can read it on the podcast just like I am now. At John B. Flushing writes, nice work on the podcast at talk to me talk. I just finished the Frank Novinek episode while playing some Madden. Yeah, write in. Let me know what you're doing. Let me know how you get this podcast. Are you listening on iTunes? Are you listening on Stitcher? Are you listening on Podcast Addicts? Let me know your thoughts, your feelings, how you're thinking it's going. Got some great guests lined up. It's going to be a fun, fun adventure. So I will leave you with some music, and I will see everyone next Tuesday. Have a great week, guys. Yeah.